Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in current times, as once again, we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner and I'm joined on today's programme by Jan Young. Jan is the owner of Sussex Accountancy Services based in Brighton Hove, West Sussex. Jan, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the air and speak with me. Now, the purpose of this podcast series is to gather together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. So what I'd like to understand first and foremost is what that word leader actually means to you. Um, Well, as far as I'm concerned, to lead somebody is actually to look at their strengths and weaknesses. And so we make sure that their strengths carry them where they need to go. Um, I also think that a leader doesn't look always for qualifications, but looks for logic and common sense. Um, a leader is somebody who, you know, shows people the right way to go and the lead by example. Mm. Leading by example that you mentioned there is an incredibly um, important point. And part of that as well is showing a degree of uh, humility, isn't it? Being able to show those around you that you're willing to not essentially just sit at the top, but get much get mucking in, if you were will, and get involved in some of the jobs that they are also doing? I do every single job that all my staff do. Um, Service has been going for 35 years now, and um, we still have clients with us that started 35 years ago. Uh, my slogan is cope, uh, to be enough to cope, small enough to care. And the idea of when I started out was to hold people's hands, that when they started out in business, they could come to us and we would, hold their hands to make sure their business is prospered. Mm. And how would you describe your own leadership style, Jan, in running the business? Um, I just um, ask people to do what I would do and um, ask them to get on with it. I don't interfere in any way. Um, I'm also one of these people who thinks if somebody does something wrong, then it doesn't really matter because they'll never do it wrong again. You know, they learn by their own experience. Um, among as well as being sort of the owner of sort of accounting services, I was actually the cabinet cabinet member for finance in local government in Brighton City Council, mm. and um, there, you know, I had to um, lead forward in ways of saving money, um, and uh, you know, people just helped and followed. I think you raise a really important point there, uh, Jan, in the fact that one of the best ways of leading is sometimes to take a bit of a backseat and let people be independent and take on their own form of leadership and maybe go out of their own comfort zone in a, a little bit. I think that's quite important in one's development, really, isn't it? Um, having to go beyond your comfort zone and do things yourself. Yes, because that's how we all learned, wasn't it? I mean, when I first started out, uh, I did a lot of things that I was really worried about and a bit scared of. But then when you do it often enough, you become second nature and you just can do it. And, you know, the same thing will happen to your staff. You know, you just give them time and then eventually, they, you know, they can fly on their own. And do you think it's also possible to develop into a good leader without having that experience, as you say, of trying things, maybe making one or two mistakes and then using that as a learning curve? Um. Some people are born to be leaders. I mean, I will, I'll say to you, years ago, I, I trained accountants and I found, to my dismay, that people who came from university 
were very, very clever, but didn't understand the basics of bookkeeping. Mm. Those that came from college understood the basics of bookkeeping, but didn't understand all the higher things that the university students did. So in a way, it's very difficult to, to find a leader amongst either of them because you need to find one person who is easy with both situations, and that's quite rare. Mm, that's um, a really interesting point sort of that difference in um, experience that you uh, that you mentioned um, and I think there's a lot to uh, to be said for that um, in terms of um, experience we know that that's of course one important um, aspect of um, development um, but there's also people as well mentors can be some of the most influential uh, leaders out there is there anybody that perhaps you've encountered in your career Jan that's maybe been a mentor to you or just even somebody that you've maybe looked up to Actually, no. I, um, I've I've always been a striver. Um, mm. I always I, I started off quite low, so lowly, you know. So I had to everything I had to do, I had to strive to do myself. So I I have actually always been my leader, if you if you know what I mean. I've been the one who says, "Of course you can do it. Of course you can do it." And I honestly believe that if you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Mm, absolutely right, because. Even though you say that some leaders are perhaps born good leaders, maybe with certain innate qualities, such as being able to get people to, of course, go with them, being able to captivate attention, etc., maybe having a certain self-motivation and a self-drive, there's always a means of developing, isn't there? Because if we're not necessarily born into leadership positions, there's always ways that it always kind of drops onto us and we can develop um, in our own right into good leaders just through experience and just charting our own course in a way, going on our own journey. Yes, I mean, I, I have, I mean, although I've been in accountancy for 35 years, I actually ran a flying club for many years. I ran a diving lodge for many years. I was one of these people that actually just, um, you know, experienced life the way I wanted to. And um, I have to admit that I, everything on the set of accounts I still do excites me. It's like making a cake. You put the ingredients in and you don't know what's going to come out of the oven. You know, I still get thrilled when I do a set of accounts, which might seem illogical to lots of people because they think accountancy is boring. But when you've done all the other things in life, accountancy is quite nice to come into in the end. Mm, that is quite um, interesting uh, because I think sometimes people can look up certain professions and maybe they don't ne necessarily know the ins and outs and there can certainly be uh, stereotypes as well and I think there's almost stereotypes around leadership in and of itself aren't there Jan because I think in this country we do have a tendency to look at leadership as being associated with celebrity politics for example being in the public eye and good leadership especially within the business world can quite often go under the radar as a result of that. But is that something you'd find yourself um, agreeing with, that we maybe don't recognise good leadership within business perhaps as much as we should? Yes, I, I think that um, the powers of be should ask the um, ordinary person more questions about how to run a business because um, quite a few of the politicians and things that become leaders actually haven't had all the skills of working through businesses to get to the position they're in. So they don't always understand um, what the ordinary business does. Um, I think people should, they should actually probably communicate more with um, leaders of firms to find out ways of saving money and doing things differently than they do as a leader because they, they only become a leader because of the position of the place they're at. They haven't worked their way up to get to that position like 
people do with, with you know within business. Mm, for certain um, people in business, when they sort of climb the corporate ladder in a way, have to go on that journey, don't they, of development, whereas it's not necessarily the case um, in politics. But even in the business world as well, sometimes we're seeing a lot of younger people, especially graduating from university and going straight into leadership roles without any practical experience. And that sometimes can raise oh, that, issues. Years ago, when I was a civil servant, we, we had a guy came in uh, straight from university to oversee us, we had to teach him our job so that he knew what to tell us and then he started telling us how to do it. And I must admit, I didn't like that at all. So yes, you're right. Um, a lot of people are parachuted in and they don't really understand what it is that they're supposed to be doing. So if you were to give some of your own advice, Jan, to somebody from the younger generation who is perhaps um, looking to enter a leadership role and make it within a particular profession, what sort of advice would you have to give them? Um, my advice would be to youngsters is to go out and do something, see the world, do things before they start on a career. Because once you start on a career that leads to leadership, it's all time consuming. So you don't have time to do the enjoyment things until you get to the end of it. So if you do it first, then at least you can think back of what you've done. And it gives you that um, spur, I suppose, to get to the top so you can do it all again. Mm, absolutely and if we think about um the future now jan before we do wrap things up on the uh, the program today um do give me an idea of what you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for sussex accountancy services and also what you hope to achieve not just in navigating of course the current covid19 situation but also when you emerge from the other side of the uh, the pandemic as well well um uh, my daughter and i have been in lockdown um over this time but because we're an accountant and because of the furlough and because of self-assessment grants, um, my daughter works from home. We've, we've actually been able to carry on working all through it because, once again, as I say, you have to hold your client's hands to make sure they have what they're entitled to and that they go forward. Uh, once it's all over in the next 12 months, it's going to be very critical again for my clients. So it's a question of, once again, um, seeing how you can help them and um, look at their businesses and see if they can move it to any different ways. Um it's just you know, a matter of going forward. One of my skills is going into businesses that are failing and turning them around. So, you know, it's going to be quite a challenge. But I think, you know, most of my clients will still be here in 12 months time. Certainly, there are going to be a whole new set of challenges um, in future um, as a result of the, uh, the COVID pandemic and leadership especially in the business world um, and also in politics, is going to have to adapt, isn't it? Because we're going to be fundamentally changing the way that we work in uh, many cases and business will have to be ready for that new environment. Yes. I have to say, yes, Jan, I've got to say, yes. it's um, even though we are just about out of time on uh, today's um, programme now, um, it's been thoroughly insightful having you um, on the uh, the air with us. I think um, some of the topics of discussion that we've had today have been very, very fascinating. And for the listener's benefit, for sure, what I think would be absolutely amazing is if in the next 12 months, once we start to see the changes in the business environment becoming obvious, we could perhaps have you back on the air with us to discuss some of those and how um, your vision for the future is uh, being borne out and also just how the firm is getting on as well. I'd love that. Thank you very much. Yes, I'd love that. I think um, that would be fantastic for the listeners. But for now, Jan, I've got to say thank you ever so much for taking the time to come onto the air and speak with me today. It's been a real pleasure as well as also a really informative experience having you on. Thank you. 
That was Jan Young from Sussex Accountancy Services speaking. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. A former professional footballer, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City during his career. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening to the interview just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters 
who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. 
there was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark. Mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form, I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? 
And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you 
as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well, he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. 
and I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. You- we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team, the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership, all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.